Maestro Hamilton is a veteran ayahuasquero who I've had the pleasure of sitting in many ceremonies with over the years. He's really the first person to open up the field of ayahuasca as far as what's actually happening between the inter-shaman dynamics that's going on in the jungle. And he knows very intimately about those dynamics because he actually found his lineage because he experienced some of the dark magic of the shamanic arts. And I've told the story about how my former fiance, Whitney Miller, actually also experienced some dark magic at a place that I wasn't there with her, and how Hamilton and his teacher, Maestro Alberto, who came from the lineage of Maestro Julio, actually healed, and I know it's unbelievable to imagine, but actually healed Whitney in front of my eyes, reversed some of this dark magic. So I've seen him at work and we've had these discussions which are wildly illuminating and also i understand completely sound like we're in a star wars movie or something and so i brought him on again for this podcast because i wanted to go a little bit deeper it's been a while since we saw each other in person exploring the nature of consciousness he's one of the few people that have that level of experience and also the ability to articulate the wild ineffable that you do experience in psychedelic medicine, and also to talk about the necessity to be warriors of consciousness in a way, and not so much that you're looking to pick a fight, but that you're prepared for whatever energy you might encounter out there and how to transcend the fear and create a safe, protected space. And I really appreciate Hamilton for that. So I hope you guys get a lot out of and enjoy this podcast with Maestro Hamilton. But before we get started, a word from our sponsors. And first up is Fit for Service. I want to take a quick moment to share that we're opening up applications for Fit for Service 2023. So all of the core programs, which are the signature of what we do, are actually only going to be available to register right now as you're listening to this podcast. So if you're interested in the journey that's going to take people from the journey of self-mastery to actually become fit for service for yourself and then also for your relationships, for your tribe, and for the whole cosmos. This year's arc really has a different flavor than any year in the past in that we're really trying to advance our dedication to service, to go from the self to our community, to all people, to the world, because this is a time where the world needs it the most. And so We're bringing together a band of allies, some of the most incredible people that you can possibly imagine from the coaches to the speakers, to the musicians, to the members themselves. I mean, already the applications that I've seen coming in, it's mind blowing the caliber of people that are coming together. And I think it's because now is the time where the world needs us the most and you guys are showing up and it's incredible. So if you want to be a part of this, go to fitforservice.com, check it out send in your application. We would love to see you there. And let's do this. Let's change our lives. Let's change our family. Let's change our tribe. Let's change the world and let's do it together. And that's the only way that it's going to happen. So I hope to see you there on the inside. 
Next up, we have Mudwater. Now, Mudwater is one of my favorite products that are out there in the health and wellness better for you space. It's a coffee alternative. It has four adaptogenic mushrooms. It has cacao, Ayurvedic herbs, and it's really a coffee alternative. It has a fraction of the caffeine of a cup of coffee, but I do like a little bit of caffeine, and Mudwater just hits that sweet spot. It doesn't have a bunch of sugar or anything in there, so if you want to add your own sweetener, you're welcome to, or if you're mixing it in a shake or a warm morning drink, like I often do. It's just really a kind of a perfect product. And it's no surprise that Mudwater has done so well as a company because it's just phenomenal and phenomenal all the way up, all the way down, not only from the quality of ingredients, the flavor profile, and also just the customer service and the ethos of the company itself. I am a huge fan. And again, cacao and chai for mood and a microdose of caffeine. They got lion's mane, which helps with cognitive support and alertness. Cordyceps, which is the flagship ingredient in our product, Shroom Tech Sport from Onnit. It's got chaga and reishi to support your immune system and offer that little bit of calm that comes with the reishi mushroom. Turmeric is also one of those great products for any kind of stiffness or soreness you might be feeling. And cinnamon, which is an ingredient that's very close to my heart. That also has a bunch of antioxidants and actually in high enough amounts can help with blood sugar regulation. I talk about that a bit in my book, Own the Day. So mud water is just one of those things that if you're curious about a coffee alternative and you like making delicious beverages, whether they're smoothies or hot drinks, I highly recommend it. It's Whole30 approved, 100% USDA organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan, kosher certified. It's got all the goods. So go to mudwater.com slash amp. That's M-U-D-W-T-R dot com slash amp. And you can use the code AMPMUD for 15% off your mudwater order. Once again, mudwater.com slash amp. Use code AMPMUD for 15% off. Next up, we have Four Visions Market, which, side note, is a great place to go shopping for Christmas presents. I'm just saying. And Four Visions Market is kind of my go-to place for a lot of shamanic tools. It supports over 30 different indigenous artists and their families through more than fair trade purchase of their spiritual tools and art. They got high quality, made-in-prayer medicines. It's a bridge to over 15 Amazonian tribes that are sharing their traditions and really their magic and medicine. 50% of the proceeds are going to go directly to the tribes, artisans, and healers. And on top of that, Four Visions Market donates 10% of their profits to their partner nonprofit, Movement for Amazonian Growth in Indigenous Cultures. They call it the Magic Fund and other different Amazonian operations with missions that are aligned with their values. This year, Four Visions Market, they're spearheading a native plant reforestation and seed preservation project in the Colombian Amazon, as well as a bunch of different support for the Putumayo region and the hundreds of indigenous people there. The tools from the Four Visions Markets, they're all handcrafted if you're talking about caripes or tepes, and all of the different botanicals, they're wild harvested, again, in sacred prayer, again, in sacred prayer and the proper way. And you're really receiving you know, genuine medicinal tools from these incredible traditions that have deeply impacted my life. So some of the products, they include, they have an Ambi Sacha Yage microdose tincture, ceremonial grade cacaos, Amazonian king nettle, Melipona honey eye drops for eye health, nausea oil for nasal support, Achilcuagwe healing spray, and of course, their Hape, which I absolutely love. So if you're interested in any of these goodies, Check out Four Visions Market 
visionsmarket.com, F-O-U-R, visionsmarket.com, and use the code AMPAMP for 15% off your very first order. And finally, we have on it. It's that time of year again. On it is having its Black Friday, Cyber Monday sale. And as usual, it's the biggest sale of the year. It's the time where we go nuts, so y'all can go nuts. Let me just read off some of the things we got. First of all, there's 60% off like doorbusters, awesome, cool shit, because on it just makes awesome, cool shit. That's 60% off. 25% off all supplements. Again, the 60% off the doorbusters, 50% off all digital products, which is some of the great coaching programs led by John Wolf with steel mace and clubs and kettlebells. So you can really up-level your game in 2023 if you want to learn some of these tools and techniques. There's 20% off all the nutrition, which includes the protein and the bars, and then 20% off all of the apparel and gear. Uh, there's some new fly stuff that we're always bringing in. So now's the time. Check it out. Go to onit.com slash Aubrey. You can check out all the Black Friday, Cyber Monday deals that we have going on up until December 4th. Onit.com slash Aubrey. Black Friday, Cyber Monday Madness. Get it, y'all. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Maestro Hamilton. Maestro Hamilton. We're back. We're back, Aubrey. Yeah, it's been a minute, man. It's been a long minute. Yeah. It's good to see you. It's really good to see you. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, some wild shit's been going on in the world since we last saw each other. Indeed. And what we were talking about is it's like, I think overall, there's lots of different ways in which this has affected our daily lives and our centers and, you know, and well, I say our, but your center and, and different ways in which the structures have changed because of that. But the biggest change for me was just the meta framework that now it's go time like like this feeling like okay kind of what we've been training for our whole lives is now coming to bear and it's like now it's time to yes always keep learning keep growing but it's a little bit of like take what you got and start putting it putting it to use in the world because it's time yeah i mean i agree you know the last series of ceremonies we did it was clear that it was mission on yeah it was definitely go time and the last years have shown us why. Yeah, yeah. The you said that there is, you know, a long time ago. One of the things that you taught me is like there's two primary forces: love and delusion. And I think that language always stuck with me as really important because I think there's a way in which you can make the darkness or whatever you want to call it as real as the love. And if you do that you're just in mortal combat forever. But when you actually realize that's all just delusion, a distortion through a prism, then you actually understand the whole construct in a different way. So help people kind of like unpack that concept of the idea of love as the universal force and then delusion as the opposing force and like what that kind of means to you and how that's potentially evolved over uh, over the decade. I think in that context, love is synonymous with source. Right. And love is meaning everything, but as a whole, in its totality, not piecemealed, not separated, not Hallmark card, not I love my mom or, you know, I love my wife or I love my girlfriend or whatever. It's not, it's everything. It's It's the totality of the universe, the force of creation, this idea that there is no opposing force in absolute truth in that 
instigating capacity to create. Just the universe started creating and it has not stopped. It's creating right now. It's creating through us. It's creating this podcast. It's creating everything that's going on in the world. And then the delusion comes in sometime in our history where we start to take our ideas and we use the mind and we use the imagination to create thoughts that are just fundamentally not based in fact anymore. Mm. And we use shapes and we use symbols and we use concepts and colors and beliefs and tradition all wrapped around it. And it becomes literally delusion, but it's so real to us. It's so palpable. It makes so much sense to us that we don't see that it's no longer representing just that pure force of creation. Yeah. And we're involved in it. We're in the middle of it. And so that delusion isn't independent of humanity. It's being created by humanity. It's right. fueled by source, but it's being created by us. And the biggest delusion of all is the us versus them concept within it. And that's the truly the root of all evil in that delusion is that there's some other them to be having that conflict with in the first place. Yeah, it's a myth of separation at the very root of the story of delusion. And actually the creation of delusion, the genesis of delusion itself requires separation. Once you have separation, then you have rivalrous conflict with win-lose metrics and good, bad, and all of this understanding, exactly. which is real in some dimensional reality. And also delusion, the farther you go all the way up to truth, then at some point on the train, you find the delu- you find the spot where you you notice the delusion, but you have to understand like kind of the multidimensional nature of a thing. You get lost in fear along the way, and as soon as you get scared, you refract. You pull away from just being in the flow and being part of this natural state of consciousness, and thought starts to just like sonar pinging off of that fear into that place of delusion, and it just blows out. It's immediate. It's total. It's overwhelming. It's all encompassing. And then what do you do? Most people live in it all the time. And so when they're driving their car, they're in it. When they go to bed, they're in it. When they dream, they're in it. When they wake up and have their coffee, they're in it. They're brushing their teeth in it. They go to the bathroom in it and they don't have an out. But, you know, through different psychedelic work and ceremonial work, you can see through that delusion and you can say, oh, okay, all I need to do is calm down. I need to go to my source of love. I got to go back to my epicenter. And we used to, you know, teach that through the heart. I mean, we still do, but yeah. When we first started talking about it, we'd say it's it's through this gateway, not through the brain gateway. So, you know, go to the heart where the heart doesn't have the thoughts themselves and literally turn it off. And actually in the last week of uh, ayahuasca sessions I was doing, we got into the situation where there was a lot of that at play. A lot of the, the guests that were there were really interested in exploring that delusion. And they were feeling like something- Oh, dude, they're feeling like something was missing for not doing that because the first ceremonies didn't have any of that in it. I kept all of that out. Yeah. And then they were coming to me going like, but I heard all these stories that it's supposed to be like, and they started comparing. And I'm like, okay. So going into the third ceremony, I let them turn it up, right? <laughs> dude, it became chaos in seconds and stuff like that. And then after, we, after that, I just literally turned it off, reset the entire ceremony, And then just started giving these commands just to turn ego down, turn fear down, turn the delusion off, awaken source, awaken the inner source, and then turned all of the medicine back on in the ceremony. And it was basically instantaneous. And it just showed that that delusion's coming from us. And most of us are like into it like cotton candy. And it almost feels like in order to get something of value, maybe it's this puritanical work ethic mindset like or this other idea like if there's going to be anything of value it's got to be hard so if you're gonna if you're gonna actually learn something you got to go into the deep shit in the shadow (laughs) or it can't be the love and bliss path 
Like it's, and it's kind of a wild thing because that idea is a self-fulfilling prophecy. And you see that in relationship work and all kinds of work where it's like, it's gotta be hard. And it's the pain that's, that's, that's the teacher. It's like, yeah, it is a great teacher. And sometimes it's the only teacher that's available. But if your goal is to get to love, ecstasy, bliss, beauty, why not learn from love, ecstasy, bliss, and beauty, right? Like, of course, wouldn't that be your teacher if that's where you want to go? I always thought you got to deal with the hellish stuff in heaven. You don't want to go deal with it in hell. You're already in hell. You don't know how to deal with it there. You want to go deal with it in the nicest place possible. So I was like, you got to create the heaven health spa. You got to have all the helpers in there. You got to be completely relaxed and chilling. You're getting a foot massage. Yeah, That's when you deal with your shadow. That's what I'm saying. I'm not dealing with my shadow in the shadow. That, no. is, that it is the shadow. I want it in the sex temple. That's what with the priest. Sure, you got that. I'm sure you've already figured that one out. That's the move. That's the move. I'm fucking total. I'm totally with you. And so, what's interesting too is there's there's it's so all of this is is riddled with so much paradox because in some real capacity there are forces that are looking to put an push forward an agenda of top-down control increase separation increase chaos right like actually it feels like whether it's just like wanting to create right like the natural reproductive impulse of delusion itself trying to reproduce itself but it feels like there is this force that's actively undermining our efforts that feels very real and then but as we said you keep zooming out and then you see that that's actually the catalyst for that's actually just a catalyst for growth and part of eros the love beauty intelligence of the cosmos always moving through us in this constant evolution that you know you could call love as well so i think it's it's difficult and also important for people to understand that sometimes you have to deal with things on in a multi-dimensional way when they have multi-dimensional aspects yeah i mean first the unpacking the idea of this top-down you know control matrix that's been in play in our mythology for 25 30,000 years 40,000 years that's not a, a lot of time if we think of earth's history but for human history and for what we know of as being modern humans that's an unbelievable amount of time and so if we start to create that together we can make that real we can make that into something that truly exists in its own right we have the capacity to be able to create entities we create corporations they're corporate entities in their own right and so in that way, we've given life and, and, and energy so much to that idea of that matrix. It's now real, and it's something that we need to look at. It doesn't mean that it's universally true. It just means that it now exists. Right. It now becomes part of source. It becomes part of, of something that maybe we will have to ultimately deal with and unwind. Mm-hmm. You see it in families, like uh, young parents who immediately have their first child and then all of a sudden create that matrix within their house. Their house had yeah. almost no rules. Now they have a kid, and now the whole house is rules. Yeah. And there's very little latitude or leeway to deal with it. You know, the interdimensionality of it is really built into the construct of how we create that delusion in the first place. So we create a delusion and a refraction and fear. We step away from just innate reality. We step away from trust. We step away from love. We step away from something that's greater than just our individual life. We make everything temporal. Everything becomes past, present, future. Everything becomes this very, very finite amount of time that relates only to the body. 
right? It's unbelievable fear associated with that. And then all the manipulations on top of that, where that control matrix is being made is inside our brains. Mm. That's the thing that people don't really realize. They want to externalize it, but it's not. It's inside our brains. And if you look at our society where we have checks and balances, those checks and balances are built into the thought matrix in literally everything. So everybody's within that same control matrix. Mm-hmm. There isn't anybody in our society that's ultimately free from it, that's just walking around free swinging. Well, however we, they we do can't it. be if we understand the connected nature of who we are. Correct. Like we're all in a shared connected field. So if it exists, we are in, in contact it. with it. We're Correct. sharing with it. That's why I say we're going to have to deal with our creation. So yeah. we have to unwind that delusion in that interdimensionality. And that's something that we can do through sacred plant ceremonies or ayahuasca ceremonies, because you can get in there and you can unhinge the fixations that, and, and uncouple those fixations that make that all of a sudden, uh, you know, instead of something so constricted that you can't move it, you can't break it, you can't see beyond it, you can awaken it to being able to engage the field, release the fixations, open up and be able to see beyond those delusions you wake up from the delusion, it almost seems silly. And it's sad and it's kind of crass in a way, but it seems silly when you see how mm-hmm. simple the delusion really is when you wake up from it and how how little time it takes. It takes from like that yep. and the brain just goes click. And that is an, an interdimensional expression. When we look around us, we think we're seeing the world, but we're actually seeing the reflection of light and we're seeing it inside our minds. It's a wild thing. We think the space around us is what we're what it really is, but it's only a tiny, tiny bit of what it really is. Yeah. We make it beautiful, you know, decorate it, change it up, put different shapes in it, different colors in it. But all of that's just stimulating our brains. When you open up beyond that, you realize that this is the interdimensional field. Our mythology lives within it. The entities that are associated with it live within it. What we see inside our sacred plant ceremonies lives within it. Mm-hmm. The fears that everybody has that you see propagated on the news and you know by all different kinds of top-down organizations live within it. And it's, it's just of that matrix. And it's our decision what we're going to ultimately do with it, which is why I think it's time for the, the real mission to be on, which is to evolve us to the next level beyond the need for that. Right. It reminds me of the first you know, principle of the Kabbalion, the Hermetic principle, all is mine, the universe is mental. And this understanding of how inextricable the understanding of the universe is with the understanding of our mind and how our mind is constantly an aspect of what we understand the universe to be. And it's inescapable for us to really grasp anything without the interface of our mind, which is containing in some way and like mapping and mirroring, you know, the universe and actually the story of the universe and the perception and the codification of all of it is required in this larger mindscape. And then I think that also is what allows us to understand and give open the possibility for magic, what we would call magic. Mm. It's when we realize that our mind is inextricable from the cosmos itself, as we change our mind and set our mind to another thing, the universe becomes far more malleable than the Newtonian causality, which if it's a strong story, of course exists, you know, and it's real. But however, like you can start to maneuver these different, in these different ways, either from mental alchemy, which is the simplest form, to actual very strange occurrences that can happen with synchronistically with weather and, and 
and coordination with animals and wind and and these things that are traditionally would be found in fairy tale books or fantasy novels. Well, when we were out in the Amazon, what we were seeking was to try to prove all of that. We were trying to actually find ways to prove whether any of the mythological context had enough power to do something about what seemed like a an earth that had gone in a desperate direction mm. and how you would try to create a force strong enough to be able to kind of course correct along that way. And what we ended up figuring out was that it wasn't about a movement outward. It was about going so inward that from the inside, you end up being able to find infinity. So it wasn't try to find infinity out there. It was go so inside you that you could find the infinity that was in your matter. And it would make us question over and over again, how much of us was really the matter versus how much was the matter just an anchor for the rest of us? And then we had to go explore what was that rest of us? And that's a wild course as well through delusion and you know, justification and mm -hmm. <laughs> desire and trying to figure out how all of that kind of plays itself out along the way. But, but really we found that you find the infinity from within, then you start to explore beyond and it's like piercing the veil of, of physicality of the matter beyond us. I mean, yeah. when we're fixated on ourselves and we're looking out at this incredible view, the earth looks huge, you know, but if you get really far away from earth, like just the rings of Saturn, earth looks smaller than a, a it looks like smaller than a drop of water from galaxies further away from that you can't even see it it's it's almost nothing you know and so i think when we go deep inside ourselves that's where we actually find out how how big we can really be and how much more of us is beyond the mind which is really like an encapsulation and a codification like you mentioned of that totality of that energy but you move beyond those codes as well and you move into sort of universal sets of codes interdimensional sets of codes you move beyond the mythology, you move beyond the entities and beyond the beings that hold together our story, all of a sudden space, time, relativity, scale, they all disappear. Yeah. The purity of consciousness is still there. You're still alive. You still know it, but you have no determined space time. There is no Newtonian physics. Newton's long gone. He's just an ancestor at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the science that people are doing now is trying to prove the things that you're tapping into and actually using to have that experience. Yeah. You know, and then in that space, you do realize that there is a field. It's not just you and emptiness. It's not just you. In fact, there's no way to tell where the beginning of that field is and where you are within it. You are of the field and it is seamless. Yeah. Call it Eros, call it Shekinah, call it the Tao just different flavors of the field, mm. you know, that, that have kind of permeated our understanding, but are very difficult to actually have gnosis of until you've actually felt the field in some way. And, you know, I think that's always, it's interesting to, you know, you can have all this philosophy and theory and whatever, but without the plants or without some practice or some, you know, wild Satori experience where you just happen to snap into a state of consciousness, which certainly can happen and there's many ways. And we just had a unbelievably powerful breathwork experience where people shared experiences of merging with the field through the potentially endogenous DMT release through the, the breathwork, which has now been shown in clinical research as part of what's happening. Uh, great documentary called DMT Quest that showed some of these mechanisms and actually tried to hint that DMT was part of what created our understanding of 
reality and helped us make sense of this universal field of energy was actually DMT was creating our reality. And so when you add more, it actually shows you an even like a deeper reality behind what it's been creating. Um, <clears throat> but until you like have that, have that felt experience, it's very difficult to like really even come close to grasping it. Yeah. I think it's, in, it's all intellectual at that point. Yeah. And what are we talking about when we talk about the field? We're talking about space-time, what people call space-time. We're talking about the universe. And then you have to ask, well, where did the universe come from? It, at the level of field, it doesn't have an origin. It doesn't come from anywhere. And it's creating where itself. So it, it kind of inside out all of the ways that we feel cut off and separated from it. If we haven't had those experiences, we have to ask ourselves why. What has kept us from having those experiences? Why are we returning to the plants that taught us the origins of culture from over 50,000 to 100,000 years ago? Yeah. Why do we actually have to go back into the plants to be able to regain that understanding of connection? And I think it ultimately comes down to linguistics and the ways that language has codified or our use of language has codified the mind. So we have now this idea of separation interwoven into absolutely everything right. i mean and that's part of control is, language is just chopping things into little pieces all the time yeah all the time and making little boxes around everything even when i say boxes it's making a box totally like you can't escape it we can't have a podcast no. without a million little sashimis we're making of reality absolutely all the time like fucking hero dreams of podcasting <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that's what we're that's what we're doing here. it's well it's the tool we have right now but you have we do have tools at our disposal that go beyond that that's yeah. a beautiful thing like you mentioned breath work there's a number of different tools we have meditation mm -hmm. but then when you get into the sacred plants what's so amazing about them is how fast it can be it's yeah. the accelerant and it's not a it's not that it's a, a race to enlightenment but because you know, on the integration side, it can take years to ultimately right. deal with certain experiences that we have inside ceremony. But it's an accelerant to being able to have the experience so that these concepts that we're using and the sashimi are actually palpable. It's something yeah. that we can relate to. In a and we can enjoy way. the sashimi. Why not? Like really, like really actually, you know, it's almost like what I find is the farther I go out, the more I enjoy being in. You know, it's a gift. That's the that's the real gift of it. And you go out and you straighten the you straighten a deep story. And you know, we're here with my brothers Kyle and Eric, some of my soul fam, and you know, fellow journeyers in all of the different medicines and all the different ways. And you know, they they've encountered things that haven't particularly you know bothered me. I haven't found myself in those realms. But nonetheless, and I'll, and I'll talk about this a little bit. I was in a, a Temescal ceremony yesterday with a really potent medicine woman named named Wida. And she's also a great musician. She was out here for our fifth service summit. <clears throat> and we're in the black of the sweat, you know, and she's has her drum and she's singing these exquisite, you know, lodge songs and we're offering our prayers. And it's hot as hell. It's 220 degrees in there and the water's getting poured and it's like a womb space, but it's a very uncomfortable womb space. Mm. And you start to feel like you're in a prison. It's black, it's confined, you can't go anywhere, and somebody else is in charge. The, in this case, the feminine was in charge. And this clear vision came through, and then I, and then I had this connection of, oh, this is either a prison, I'm stuck here in this 220 degrees sweating, and I can't leave, I mean, I could, I could force my way out, but that would break the container 
also be extremely embarrassing to my friends <laughs> you know, if i was the one like i'm out of here guys <laughs> like, out. yeah that'd be tough <laughs> they wouldn't look at me quite the same way for a while <laughs> no. you know that'd be a tough one to go go beyond so here i am I'm, I'm in this and then as soon as i connected to an even deeper prayer and an even deeper gratitude and love and felt like i felt the mother again felt the heartbeat and the pulse of cosmos of eros of the womb i realized that the prison actually evaporated and it gave me this vision of the very first prison we've ever been in is the womb mm. same thing black you're stuck you can't go anywhere and you're subject to the control and the whims of the mother for sure right but we've never we never thought of the womb as a prison because we were always connected to the heartbeat of the mother so all we felt was that connection that constant connection so in our mind that never was a prison even though if we could look at it now and be like yeah that was the fucking tightest prison i've ever been in it's the tightest fucking spot <laughs> and and this this reality that all it takes to change where you are from what could be a prison to actually heaven which is where you know it ultimately i was able to step into was just feeling the heartbeat of the mother feeling the heartbeat of the womb and then all of a sudden this prison was just this infinite playground where visions started to come and where my heart could actually sing a prayer that was true and a voice that was true oh, beautiful and it was a it was a gift and so it's just this this turning of a story you know was really all it took to kind of pierce what was in that case a delusion of a prison into a truth of actually if i'm connected and connected to wider who's leading the lodge who's the divine mother in that case connected to my own divine mother my own heart here we are in heaven you know and that was like just this beautiful example of how just a story can change and the whole experience changes with the story in that experience where where was it that the mind shifted it shifted at the so i think the mind has to create a it create it only it's only able to operate through story story of past present future story of an understanding a codification of reality and so in the reality where i can't go i can't escape it's dark i want i'm i'm uncomfortable i'm confined and you start focusing your attention on that yeah then it was a prison and then the story shifted is like oh here i am in the womb again and here i am with this with the divine mother in me and also represented by the leader of the lodge you know the chanupa carrier who is holding it and singing and then that and just once i felt connected it that story just evaporated and it yeah it was still hot didn't change it it was still hot <laughs> you know but the whole story changed and then everything changed my my shoulders relaxed and like everything my, my smile crept on my face and the whole thing kind of shifted and the same thing can happen in medicine where you find yourself in a place and then fear starts to come in you start to have all of these ideas of all the dangers that it could be there and then you all that all that needs to happen is you just connect back to back to source back to love back to the heart and the whole thing is just is just changed and the prison walls evaporate and you find yourself in a in a blissful field when you were in the visions themselves did you experience heat at that time <laughs> like 
the the answer is like of course there was some part of my body that was experiencing but i wouldn't have called it heat it would actually be a lie if i was to say that that was heat it was like it was just the substrate of the of the heaven that i was in yeah and and in that substrate it was just there's just this kind of radical acceptance for what it was so all of the ways that heat is its own little piece of sashimi was fucking changed Mm. so you i wouldn't have called it that actually it would be a lie because what i would have called heat a minute before was not the same thing that i would have called it then yeah yeah you know you'd have to use a different word like warmth but even still it wouldn't have actually even made sense yeah no i asked that because there's this this moment where the brain's running on the language that it uses during the day yeah and it's hot yeah, yeah. and it's tight and it's a prison and it's confined and then there's a moment where the brain does something different it's a shift in consciousness no one really understands what is the trigger catalyst when why for each person but it's a commonality amongst pretty much everybody who's had these experiences that the shift takes place and when it does the context that was there before changes mm-hmm. so all the things that were causing the problems before are not the same anymore yeah and it's different every time but that's why i ask about the visions themselves because when i've been in those situations when the visions really kick on everything that was the context that was creating the difficulty before the visions always vanishes yeah. whether it's an ayahuasca it could be nausea it could be that feeling like your just whole body's at rapid boil <laughs> and you just can't breathe enough or you realize you're hyperventilating you know or it's in a sweat where it's just like you said just way too hot you know yeah like just so hot. I've been in those before where you're just thinking like, God, is there a way out? You know? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I, I don't think it's, I actually don't think it's a good sweat unless there's at least some point <laughs> some thought your where mind. you're like, I fuck it, I don't know. Dang, my, there's my... no exit. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I was in, I was in the sweat and uh, they put me on the opposite side of the door so I could see the door, but the rocks were between me and the door. <laughs> there was no way I was going over the rocks. <laughs> yeah. It just seemed so far away. Uh, yeah. You know, until it got hot enough and then that trigger happened and then all the visions started and then it it wasn't hot. But I remember in one of those visions that the these buffalo robes were put over me and i was like you cannot put buffalo robes over me in the visions it's already too hot. You can't yeah. add robes, right? <laughs> like that was going to be too much. But then ultimately it was okay in the in the nature of that itself. That was happening last week in in the ayahuasca ceremonies where we were going really big, but we weren't going into chaos. We were going into this unbelievably stable space by going inward. It was very meditative. It was very seemed very Buddhic at first. Mm-hmm. But then as the visions turned on, uh, it was like the body became an anchor, something that was stable. And then the, the visions could just grow and grow and grow and grow beyond that. And the vision be- could become omnidirectional. But in that sort of uh, period of time when that expansion was taking place, the body struggled. Like everybody in the sessions agreed afterwards. They were like, oh, there's a lot of nausea or there was just that, you know, it wasn't physical heat, but that kind of internal heat, you know, and that pressure that was going on. But then ultimately once the visions fully turned on, then again, all of that was transcended. Yeah. Fear is such a, fear is such an important thing to discuss. And there's a, there's a kind of in the Kabbalist, you know, mystery school tradition that I've been studying there's i think it's nachman and breslov who you know kind of coined this idea that life is a very narrow bridge and the secret is to have no fear at all and my teacher mark gaffney explains it like imagine that you were walking on a bridge let's call it four feet across now unless you're wildly drunk you're not going to fall off a bridge that's four feet across right you can walk it but if it's a thousand feet in the air shit's scary Hmm. even though it's four feet across you got plenty of room it's not a balance beam yeah you know 
But imagine that same thing is on the ground, one foot off the ground. You're walking through a botanical garden. It's a four foot path. You're not scared. Hmm. And, and it's this idea that it's actually fear that takes something that, and when you are scared, actually you would get wobbly. Like if it's a thousand feet up, we're not talking about sure. wind or anything like yeah. you would get wobbly on this yeah. thing and maybe nauseous. And then actually it might even become dangerous because of the fear itself when actually the path is narrow, but, but clear. And, and it's fear actually that gives you the wobble that makes it seem like it's actually dangerous. And that's seems to be an experience that happens that I find as a metaphor over and over in the ceremonial journeys I'm in. It's like, as long as you stay, you know, with the secret, which is the secret is to have no fear at all. You just walk straight through all of that and you realize there's plenty of room and you're not off balance and you're good. Yeah, I think we create the fear and we externalize that concept that something else is triggering the fear, but we create it, right? There could be a trigger and you don't have to create fear. The fear itself is something that's innate to us. Trying to deny the fear, I think, is a rejection of something that's just fact. Yeah, We all know how to create fear. We can all get scared. Something can happen to us where the mind can start to come up with thoughts and the thoughts are scarier than what's actually happening. The, all the the what ifs the this if this happens you know the coulds and the stories about what the environment is that you're in and i think this is something that's so i want to i want to talk to you and i think this happened because you were coming because it was like an illustrative kind of example of a place that i got in so i was in a deep ketamine cannabis uh journey you know fairly recently and i'm in this journey and and I mean, absolute, like this unbelievable merger with this kind of source field. And then out of nowhere, there's this, look like this kind of large guy. And he had this kind of like, he had kind of like street clothes on and a mask. And he comes right at me and he goes to throw like an elbow, like an elbow, like a right across, like a Muay Thai elbow. And I think I like kind of dodged it or I like made myself invisible so he wouldn't miss. So it didn't like land, but it was like, asshole you know out of nowhere and then then we kind of like and then the being that being or thought was still there and i think that's an important distinction like being or thought is it a being or is it just a thought is it just something that came through or is it a thing and so i started this kind of interesting interesting kind of dance with all right now this thing is here and then i started seeing all these visions of different human figures hmm. with like these zomb these red zombie eyes like the being was actually making human figures with these red zombie eyes and I actually you know talked about it a little bit and then there's some different interpretations but there was this this kind of disruptive being and there was just a little bit of a little bit of fear not much and vilana was actually here with me and i just leaned over to vilana and was like hey there's this being <laughs> here and i was like and it it's not it's not benevolent but i'm not scared of it but here i am and i'm in this i'm in this spot now my options at that time was one just don't believe it's a being and it will blink out of existence and it'll just be a thought that was option one and i was like <laughs> i don't know if i got that in me right now to just believe it right out of existence because I do have this kind of understanding of entities and obviously all of our talks, you know, we know that in the belief of that reality, at the very least, that reality is can be very real. 
So I couldn't quite believe it out of existence, although I was close. Mm. And then the other option was to actually like shush it out. And we've talked about some of these kind of shamanic tools. And I've actually recently gone on a, a cinnamon dieta, basically based on the rose dieta mm. that you led me through, which was incredibly powerful. But in the cinnamon dieta, I, I learned an ikoro that was really strong that allows me to call in a lot of other larger allies and forces and i can weave it into the ikaro like the, the structure of it itself is mm -hmm. like a calling of the of these beings and i was like well i'm gonna opt with plan b i'm gonna shush it away <laughs> you know like even though like there was some part of me that was like i'm pretty sure i could just not believe that this was real and it would just disappear mm. but i made the choice to actually go the magical route and shush it out so Vailana blew some cinnamon on me. I started singing the Ikaro. I called on my big allies and we chased it off into a wormhole back into the cosmos. And, and I could see it and it just left, like blinked through. It had a little comet tail and it was fucking gone. It was out of there. Didn't really solve anything. It just kind of moved it out of my consciousness at that point, I think, because of the faith I had in it. But it brings up this interesting thing. And it, but it was unsettling to me because I don't want to always be shushing things away, you know, fundamentally. But I also was grateful that I was able to shush it away. But I think for people who are entering this space, we all have these different, and depending on our own belief structures and ideas, there's kind of like a variety of options that are available. And I suppose a third option would have been, instead of just believing out of existence, like raising my frequency to a place. And this is something you taught me as well. Raise my frequency to a place where I'm in the field of love source beauty truth intelligence of the cosmos in which that thing cannot exist or at least cannot touch me it would be mm -hmm. like a ghost trying to take a swing at me and i'm like bitch you're not gonna hit me <laughs> you know what i mean like here i am at love you're not gonna touch this frequency so what would you say i guess to me and as me using me as a proxy to other people who are kind of journeying these spaces and presented with this like similar situation but we'll just use this specific one as an example yeah, I think it's very hard to differentiate thoughts from what people call entities. And it's very hard to differentiate where the mind begins and ends and where entities would be out in a field, yeah. you know, out in an energetic field. Kind of think of it like scuba diving. You know, if the fish are out there in the water and you swim up to a school of fish, they're really there before you even got there, right? Mm -hmm. That would have to be a real entity in an interdimensional field. Yeah. hanging out in some former creation. There'd have to be some story about how that energy took that shape and form at some time in the past. It would have to actually be real, not just a thought coming through your own neural network and right. the brain mind coming up with some, you know, arranging some quantum, uh, you know, matter to be able to make something have a shape and make sense to you. So from our exploration, those, those energies exist, mm -hmm. right? So it's hard to differentiate, is that entity coming from me or is it coming from somewhere else? So whenever we come into other kinds of energies, uh, the very first thing we do is, well, even before we get involved with them, we already have raised our vibration and we've already called in our helpers. Mm -hmm. So you got both. Mm -hmm. You got all, all the tools are available, right? Mm -hmm. So you go into it first with that understanding, like we're gonna do some work tonight. And before we even start, we're going to call all the helpers and we're going to raise our vibration and we're going to do a little breath work to, to make that real before we start, right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to start with that. Then the next thing I want to do is I want to define the space 
around that thing. If that thing comes and takes a swing at me, I want to understand how it even had the opportunity to take a swing at me. <laughs> like, eh, I need to I need to rethink about how I define that space. Mm-mm. So I'm now going to look at the space itself. So I want the space to be completely in our favor. Yeah. Right? So it's our space. It's not their space. It's our space. So this thing's visiting. It's like I'm visiting your place, right? Yeah. That's your yeah. place, right? Yeah. Same concept. So with the space. So that we define that within the space, that that's our space. In the shamanism, they call it your mesa, right? I, I and I can tell right now, just to add context to this, like that lands because I was super lazy with this with this ceremony. <laughs> I was hella lazy. There you go. I was like, eh, I'm tired. <laughs> Fuck it. Let's go. Let's go. And we're gonna get some quantum rest. We're just gonna go in here. Yeah. I'm gonna surf around a little bit. I had no intention. I had no opening prayer. And I'm not advising this. Don't take my sloppiness as a permission slip. No. It's like I was just lazy. And I yeah. was and I was just kind of in a lazy, random, undefined space. And then had this thing happen. And it kind of and like that's why. Well, yeah. 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 I mean, that's why. But what's important though is that this is an important lesson, though. This is an important lesson. You're either ahead of the time in ceremony or you're reacting to what happened in ceremony. Right. And then you get ahead of it again once you have to react. Right. So this set up a situation to have to react. So it kind of snaps you out of your reverie, right? Yeah. You're doing your like float around, everything's oh, all good. Surfing, yeah. Whoa, no, I guess, wait, wait, what? Like there's something else in the wave, right? Like the yeah. shark's now in the wave and you wake up from your reverie in, in the surf. And there's honestly nothing wrong with that. These are all tools and techniques uh, for all the different possible reasons that things could happen. It's There's redundancies built on redundancies, built on even more redundancies, right? Mm-hmm. So one is space. The next one is your crew, right? Your posse, the beings you work with, the mythologies you relate to, the, the energies that you work with, you have them there too. You know, if you do the work often and you call on them often, they appear immediately. Yeah. So they're always there for you, yeah. you know? We worked with that years ago. And so they'll always be there with you whenever you need them. Yeah. Just call them. And then um, then there's this idea that, uh, you know, what's that thing's intention? I need to understand its intention. So in this case, it took a swing at you, which could seem threatening, right? But maybe that's not really its, its intention. Maybe its intention was to snap you out of something. Yeah. Maybe its intention was to, to show you something. Maybe yeah. it was going to teach you something. Yeah. Right. And the reason why I ask that is because when something hits you hard, you know it. Like it really hits. It it like right, right. it thunders you and you're not okay afterwards. It's like taking a punch from <laughs> yeah. a heavyweight. No, it it lands. And oh, this one did this one didn't land. That's what I'm saying, right? right? That's the difference. So when I hear that, I'm like, okay, I've been hit when it lands and it's like, oh, you bell got rung. Like and now, now, now game is on, right? Now game yeah, is on. Sure. The cat and mouse game is on. But right. this was like showing you something, right? And it's showing you something kind of in that field of light. And then, so then there's this investigation that could happen. But to investigate that thing, you got to get it into a position where you can get legitimate data on it. You can get, you need real info, right? Yeah. You can ask it like, hey, why are you doing that? But it might not be resonating the truth at that moment, right? right, right. So that's when you can go to your other guides and you can ask them, or you can go to source right there and be like, what's this about? And you start to investigate, uh-huh. ask some questions. But when the fear kicks in, you can't do that because the mind has already been triggered into yeah. something else. The fear makes us small. We kind of get pulled away. So we have to kind of drop that vibe. We got to go back into our breath. We got to just reground again, reset the space. And then we just start investigating. Like if that thing came into my space, I would never let it out of my space. 
I'd be like, no, you got locked in the house. I remember I had this, I had this 220 pound great Pyrenees when I was in college uh-huh. and he would let workers into the house, but he would not let them out. It was also like the electrician would come over. Oh, come on in. Time for the electrician to go. Oh no, no, no. You're not taking your tools. You're not, no, no, you're not leaving. Right. So I'd be like, Hey, if you've come in, now we're going to hang for a while. This thing might be like, oh no, it's coffee break time. I'm like, oh no, 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 it's not. No, you're here now. Now we're going to hang yeah, out for a yeah, while. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. We're going to hang out and I'm going to get to know you and understand what you're doing maybe you're going to become an ally of mine yeah you know but if you're going to be an ally of mine i want that punch to land better you know we're gonna have to work <laughs> yeah, on that yeah, a little yeah. bit you can't be swinging and <laughs> no, you can't be swinging, swinging and missing and <laughs> like what are you doing <laughs> so yeah those are the things i mean those are all different techniques to use and and the point of the techniques is like the more you have the the more art you get to apply right like the more fun you get to have with it the more you get to dance with yeah. it the more creative you get to be and over the years, you just learn more and more and more if, if you want to, if you open up to that. Kind of the, the learning process makes you have to extend more too. So there's times when we really want to learn, like training. Mm-hmm. There are times when you just, eh, I'm pretty good. You know, I don't really want to learn yeah. as much. So, so over time, you learn like 10, 15, 20 different techniques for those situations. All yeah. of those that I mentioned would work. It's, uh, I love, like, I love hearing this because I think it just sets a framework for different ways to play cuz even when even when that happened i was i had the feeling like i just didn't have i didn't have my multiple choice options arranged in the <laughs> right way i just had like i had just a couple options and so vi asked me cuz i was like there's a being here and i don't think it's i don't think first i wasn't even sure yeah. i was like i don't think it's benevolent it wasn't say there's a malevolent being cuz i that would have been false. So I was like, I don't think it's benevolent, given by the fact that it took a swing. And then she was like, Well, what do you want to do? And I like, I took a moment and I was like, I don't know. What do, what do I want to do? But now, like in this framework, I see there's like many options and almost like a, a layer of options, curiosities, you know, like ways in which I could keep it there, try to understand it. And even in so afterwards, I talked with Eric, who's here in the room, from kind of like a dream interpretation perspective. And from a dream interpretation perspective, what this entity or thought form could have been trying to represent is all of the people who online or in social media or in the public forum try to lob an insult at me that's untrue that I notice it doesn't land because it doesn't resonate with the truth, but I see it there. But I also then am aware that with the eyes that were turning red, that those different insults might not land to me but they may land to other people who are reading the comments section or something like that and it could have been a representation from that from like an archetypal standpoint and if i would have had this kind of framework that you talked about maybe that being could have actually taught me something even more about how to handle that particular energy if it did actually indeed represent that or if it was potentially an ally for that, like there could have been a, a deeper exploration of how my own psyche and how this entity was interacting with my psyche. Um, but again, as you said, the, the prerequisite is both the framework, the understanding of knowledge, and the ability to not get triggered into fear, which then puts you into this kind of fight or flight mentality. Yeah, and now, now that you have a clear bead on that energy, I think the thing to do is go back in and bring it into the back. space again yeah. yeah i still remember it very, yeah, well, and you just, very well you just invoke it and you bring it back and now you can continue that exploration and i think it's really interesting to to mention the idea of 
you know, what the collective consciousness is around a social media community and all the different people with all the different ideas, it's no different than like a, a you know, Eastern philosophical community where people are praying up different kinds of deities or demigods. You have this idea of all these people giving opinion, sharing in that opinion and creating an energy form around it. Mm-mm. Right, they're they're giving life to this this opinion they've created or this mindset that they've created, and I think it's it's an interesting concept to explore that as well. I would go in on that. I'm I'm going to I'm gonna I'm gonna go in on that and try to understand that better because I think that's just fascinating to to think that a whole community, including all the positive and negative opinions that come through it, could actually ultimately create some kind of energy form that could then you know navigate through the collective consciousness of that community itself. Yeah, I think that's, it's, it seems to me like, and I haven't thought of it that way, but it seems like even if we haven't named a deity, a thought structure, and I think they have the names of these, they're called egregores, I did a podcast, or at least that's one name, we call it like a, an aggregation of energy mm. around a different thought concept that actually then becomes almost entity-like in its form, it desires to propagate itself, et cetera and you know certain ideas they start to get momentum and they start to you know become an entity or a, or a demigod mm. and except we don't recognize it as such and we don't realize that there's a bunch of people worshiping at the altar of this god that they've created that may actually act more like a demon that they've created or it may be a god you know it just it just depends and depends on how you define that and whether i would suppose one would be helpful to the overall you know evolution of humanity one would actually be undermining it but then what's your what's your time frame to understand whether it's helpful or not helpful but uh but yeah it's like we're all we're worshiping at the altar of a variety of different beings entities gods all the time and i think we look back at our history of all of the you know polytheistic cultures and we're like ah oh, superstitious nonsense but i remember you introduced me to zeus and and he was a he was real as fuck. <laughs> I mean, I remember being in ceremony, <laughs> and he, he was he was real as fuck. And why was he real as fuck? Well, because partly because that's an it's a archetypal energy that was real. Also, because a bunch of people put a lot of energy into worshiping and believing that entity sure. into existence. But I think a lot of people want to think that for those things to be real, they had to come from something other than humans. And for me, humans creating it makes it real. So brand consciousness is no different. To me, the modern polytheistic religion is brand consciousness. It's everybody naming corporate brands and seeing the logos in their heads. That to me is a polytheistic religion around wealth worship. It's the same, same concept, just thousands of years later morphed. But the biggest one is always thinking, oh, that doesn't exist, right? Oh, oh, polytheism doesn't exist. There's no, there's no truth about that. It's more like, I don't think it's that simple, guys. I think we need to unpack it a little bit. And maybe we can disprove that all of those gods are the gods that are controlling everything, maybe around some of the context of the mythology. But you can't say they don't exist. They exist as effigies. They exist as art. They exist as belief. They exist as stories. They super exist. Mm -hmm. They've existed for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And a lot of the things that today we worship are going to be around for the next thousands and thousands and thousands of years as well. what's the differentiation between a religion versus a collective ideology that everyone adheres to and buys into, but they don't want to call it a religion anymore. 
Well, I think there you're parsing semantics. Yeah. You're kind of just like, you know, pulling away some of the concepts, you know, from it, but not really wanting to just say like, wow, I think we're, we're really more in a collective field of ideology around it than actually like a real science or everyone having a unique autonomous opinion. I don't think that's happening at all. And so. And, and also, you know, would think about, oh, they sacrificed, you know, lambs at the altar of, of Jupiter. Well, what do you do when you cancel someone on social media because of ideas that you have around something? Is that not a human sacrifice, at least of part of the consciousness of this human being, you know? Whether, and I'm not saying that, you know, there's not a place for actually people rallying to actually bring awareness to a brand or to an idea, but like so many of the parallels from the old things that we think, oh, superstitious bullshit is like we're actually carrying that out still now. For sure. And I think if you look at what an individual is today, you bring up counter cult cancel culture. Well, where does the be the being begin and end? Where does the human begin and end? You didn't just cancel their content. You shut them down. Yeah. You shut down an aspect of their voice. You shut down an aspect of their consciousness. You know, so it's it's an amputation, right? It's hey, we don't like that. So let's just amputate that. Let's shut that thing down. But that that is part of that person, and it's part yeah. of what they're sharing, and it's part of the community that they they created around the ideas that they were sharing. And I think that you know brings a real question to the notion of freedom of thought. Like we supposedly have freedom of speech, but what is freedom of thought, and where do we get our thoughts in the first place to be able to understand the freedom or lack of freedom we have about our very own minds? <laughs> we're using our mind all the time. Are we free to actually question? If we're already taking ideas and just throwing them away and saying, oh, that can't be. Mm -hmm. If we're already saying, oh, polytheistic religion is just completely bogus without going into it and understanding it at all. If now most people think religion in general is bogus, maybe some certain beliefs about it are, but you can't say that these controlling paradigms around the world are bogus. They might not be factual, but they're unbelievably powerful, wealthy, huge, billion people communities around the world that's a very real thing, guys. I think we need to pay attention mm -hmm. to those things, not just discount them because we don't like the taste associated with them anymore. They don't they mm -hmm. don't fit well on like my menu tonight, you know? Right. Or I don't want to go and participate, right? But it doesn't mean they don't exist. We need to open up our idea a little bit more about what exists and what doesn't really exist. What's the context associated with it? And what thoughts am I really able to have about that thing? If my response is a knee-jerk reaction, I'm being controlled by somebody or something else. Maybe I want to know the agenda why. Yeah. And this is, look, we see this happen all the time. I'm sure you see it happen all the time. I mean, people freeing their mind to be able to think new thoughts and to liberate themselves from old thoughts. We did a lot of work with shame in this last Fit for Service Summit. And we always touch on this because this is one of these anti-life energies that constricts the freedom of mind. And we always have those people who grew up in a strictly religious household of any variety of different flavors there's many flavors that repress their natural sexual impulses in particular you know like their desire to masturbate or their desire to you know be with their girlfriend or boyfriend in a sexually intimate way and and the feelings that are around that and and they're just moving into the freedom and the celebration of like oh my god it's okay and i'm not i'm not broken and i'm not full of sin and i'm not and so it's just one concrete example of how these prison cells can be put around our actual thoughts themselves so that we cannot even link to the erotic impulse without also this thought of shame kind of hijacking that same thought 
and coating it in this kind of ochre poison that doesn't allow us to actually think freely. Just where's our freedom? Freedom of sexuality. What's wrong with that? Literally nothing. Like nothing. <laughs> like yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. The shame society is, I think, unbelievably controlling and powerful in its nature because all it has to do is get you in your head to flip the little circuit breaker back on yourself mm. and not think, wait, that's not even my shame. That was all their shame. They taught me that shame. <laughs> I wasn't born with that shame. Mm-hmm. We were all born touching ourselves. <laughs> like, I don't know, like, no one, hands are just going, hands are yeah. checking out the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, like, there's no shame. Like, so where does that actually even come from? I think it's, it's worth an exploration, especially if you experience it. I remember that growing up, it just where the mind starts to kick in and wants to override pleasure, where the yeah. mind starts to kick in and wants to override impulse, where it wants to kick in and override just a desire to approach somebody or even talk to them. But ultimately, that's just unbelievably screwed up. Like it's just unbelievably screwed up. Just that alone. Yeah. Like you can just stop right there and say, okay, I think right there's where we bring some healing. Right there, we bring some openness. Right there, we start to work with that. And all we have to do is get the mind to learn it doesn't need to do that move anymore. We were taught that. Mm-hmm. We were taught that move to where we, we flip back on ourselves and it, we become introspective and we become internally pained over it. And, you know... I don't think it's serving literally any of us anymore. I think of that as like old code. I now call that stuff old code. And I think like old code on your phone makes your phone run bad. Old code on your computer makes it run bad. I just think we need to rewrite that code with something new. Yeah, a whole new story. And it's time to transition from an old story in its entirety with all of the different ways that your story weaves into that story and strengthens it with the strand of your string in the braid of the old story. And it's it's not only just weaving a new string in, we really actually need a new braid, hmm. you know, that's actually weaving a whole new story that we can move in. It's actually a leap from one story to a whole other story. And, and there will be bridges. You'll, we'll be able to bridge some of that and, and we're bridging in the time between stories. But yeah, it feels to me like that's the go time that we were referencing at the start. The go time is like, it's time to build that new story. And in the process of that, everything that's been supported by the old story is going to start to crumble. And as it crumbles, it's as with any entity structure that's in danger, it's going to freak out. You know, it's going to lash out. It's going to, and I think we've started to see some of that. These control structures start to get like spasmy Mm. in there, in these kind of like death throes that you can, that you can kind of see where they're starting to lose the control that they've enjoyed for thousands of years in different forms. Empire in control for thousands of years. As people become more sovereign, more free of thought, more free of heart, more free of you know, consciousness. Has to happen. I don't think the earth stops evolving ever. And once humans started to create in our own evolution aspects of the matrix that became permanent, you, by doing so, naturally create a scenario where there will be a cycle of evolution associated with that. So maybe those structures worked really well to get us from like a 1 million humans or 2 million humans to 8 billion humans. Yeah. But it doesn't work well to go from 8 billion humans to 16 billion humans. Yeah. It doesn't work well to build triple the actual physical infrastructure. It doesn't work well to increase the amount of protein we need by something, I think it's 600 to, to a billion uh 600 million, yeah. No, it's 600 million to a billion metric tons a year more protein. 
has to be created. Like just in, for, so for sustainable food production, it doesn't work well when you start thinking of financial systems that, that boom and bust and crumble underneath each other. Mm-hmm. Like these things have to ultimately evolve into something else. And they're going to. Like the people that think they can hold on to that forever are, are wishing for a legacy that includes them not aging, that includes them not having to actually face life itself. That includes, you know, an idea that they can somehow uh, maintain and sustain only one way of life forever. And that's never going to happen here on Earth. Earth evolves way too fast. Mm-hmm. When I first heard of evolution, I read it through, you know, Darwin's books and concepts were there and I tried to grasp it. And it seemed like it was a very slow process the way it was described, right? It's sort of like those, like the science uh, TV shows from you know, 30 years ago where everything is slowly described. Mm -hmm. And I came to realize actually earth is evolving at the speed of light. So everybody watch out, Mm. like watch out. If you want to see how fast earth evolves, think about how fast COVID evolved. Think about how we went from one concept to two to four to six to eight, like in less than a year. Yeah. Like it just boom, 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 boom. The code of this place is changing. It's genetic code. It's molecular code. It's cellular code. This place is changing so fast. We're changing with it, but we don't like it. So we tell this much slower story. We count ourselves in years, decades, you know, we give ourselves this long life. You're changing just as fast. And it's happening on a cellular replicating uh, model inside yourself. We just don't see it that way, but it's happening all the time. So these social structures that we've created that have imprisoned us really mostly in our mind more than anything are going to evolve. How they evolve well, I think that's ultimately up to us because we created them. Yeah. And it's no coincidence that this acceleration is partly due to the use of accelerants, you know, which are the True. plant medicines that, you know, we've been talking about. It certainly seems like things are evolving faster than they ever have before, especially on a consciousness level and and also on a social you know social structure level for sure there she is she all our, our kitty always wants to get some attention on a podcast that's her favorite time um but these accelerants then are accelerating things even more and it feels like just at the right time honestly that all of these things are coming online from both you know public awareness i mean we were laughing down there before about I mean, who would have thought when we were working together 10 years ago that we would see an ayahuasca touchdown celebration from the, on the Green Bay Packers end zone, you know, and, and a player writing in his caption, Alan Zarn in the caption saying, that Lambo T just hits different. <laughs> you know, like we would have never expected that, but that's just like a part of this, the culture that's uh, it's evolving. And I'm honored to, to be a part of that culture because I think it's, to me, and I've had this, you know, I've kind of talked to different people who have their disparaging views of it. And I've said just my, my own life as an example, like the the truth, beauty, goodness, love, joy, you know, excitement, exploration that it's brought into my life alone, just not only what I've experienced, but what it's done to my own life. I mean, what a fucking gift that we have available to us. And it's not for everybody. It doesn't mean everybody needs to go that path but to start to just recognize these accelerants these tools is just what deep gifts we have to find our way out of all of these strange cul-de-sac dead-end stories and also if we're not careful put us in some other dead-end scary you know stories that are difficult to come out of you know they're there to work through 
you know, the plants are a gift. The sacred plants, the visionary plants, psychedelic plants, they go by a number of different names. They're fundamentally a gift. When you take them, you realize they're of nature and so are you. And then there's this recognition that this goes way back. This goes way back to the origins of humans. And we typically don't think in our daily life about that. But there's a connection that goes at least a million years back with these plants. And they were part and parcel of how consciousness became what is ultimately the positives and the traps or the negatives of today. They've been there. There's, there has to be a way to understand why we have all the receptors in our brains for all of the chemicals that are found within all the plants. And it has to be because we co-evolved. Yeah. It has to be because we were ingesting those plants in different places around the world and sharing genetic material to make it all possible. And lo and behold, we have all the circuit breakers and all the plugs in our brain for all of these different plants and all of these different chemicals. When you isolate the chemicals by themselves, you can create a narrative that separates it from nature. And then you can create a drug narrative, you can create a, a negative narrative, et cetera. But when you just leave it in nature itself, it's just there. And it's not that the, the plants do it to you. I tell everybody this on every retreat. The plants were doing just fine out there. The mushrooms were doing just fine out there. Someone came along, some human came along, actually harvested them, did something with them, prepared them, and then ingested them. So I really think it's more fair to say we did it to them, not they did it to us. Mm -hmm. Once we ingested them, something happens. That to me is like a mutual exchange that starts to take place. They get an opportunity to check in and see what human is today. And we get an opportunity to expand on what human is. And I think what the, the real gift is, is the ability to heal, transform, accelerate our growth and development, expand our consciousness, awaken our consciousness, develop our consciousness all at the same time through the journey that we get taken on with the plants themselves. Mm -hmm. And so there's this arc that, that we go through. The onset, there's always a story about the onset for somebody that just had a really tough one. Right? Some people just go in super easy breezy and lucky for them, right? Mm -hmm. But onset can be really tough. And then there's the, like you talked about in the sweat, the, where the mind is fighting, right? It's fighting its own state. And what I've come to realize is as the, the, the state of consciousness in the brain changes and the chemicals in the brain change, you start thinking differently. And as you start thinking differently, those are all the thoughts that come up. That's it. It's just like, well, I'm thinking differently. And so now I'm having all these different thoughts. If I go into doubt, then I get a bunch of doubt thoughts. If I create fear, I get a bunch of fear thoughts. If I want to mix doubt and fear and a little anxiety with some tossing some, you know, a tough bit of, of adrenaline at the same time, it's uh -huh. going to feel like speed, right? It's yeah, going to be like, yeah, yeah. ah, what just happened? Then, then this incredible opening happens. And that's when the visions really kick off. That's when the brain actually starts to calm down and the body starts to calm down. It goes into the trance. It goes into the experience. And then those visions start to be enlightening for us. They show us stuff about ourselves. We see ourselves in that infinite mind hall of mirrors. We see ourselves in, in the space where we have all of our imagination. Our imagination becomes real to us. It's not just something that's happening or, or something that is spontaneous. It actually becomes completely real for us. And then there's this exchange with the universe, exchange with nature, and exchange with the plants that becomes incredibly teaching. Yeah. And that teaching part, I think, is what's really unbelievable because it's direct learning. And you can go in feeling one way and understanding one thing, and you can come out of it smarter, better, you know, stronger, clearer. You can also come out of it understanding like, wow, I'm going to need to integrate that. I'm going to need to work with that for a period of time. If you gave that that month, two months, three months to do that, you would come out of it stronger, ultimately clearer, better, 
healed if you set those intentions and you use them in that way. And that's what I think is just such a gift. Nature has always been here to help us when we've needed nature. And nature's here to help us again, and we need nature now. And so I think it is a truly a symbiotic time where nature and humans are going to come back together to do something about our nature now. Yeah. And I think the reason why we've become such a predator of Earth itself is because that fundamentally is our nature. We are the apex predator. Just people don't like to admit it anymore. Sort of like a bad word, like religion or God or sin or something like that. It's like something people don't want to talk about or sex or whatever, right? Those are like, oh, bad words. Well, we're the apex predator of this planet, and now we've predated on the entirety of the planet. So it's like, everybody, wake up. Wake up to the predator that's inside you. You got to deal with it. Yeah. You got to learn how to deal with that energy. Call it shadow. Call it whatever you want. You forage. You pick things. They die. You eat them. We got to learn <laughs> to deal with this. It could be a vegetable. It could be meat. It could be whatever. We got to learn to actually deal right. with this in a very real way. And the plants are there to be able to help us now. And that's what will allow us as a global civilization to take it to the next level. And there's uh, when you're connected, there's this kind of, and you see it in natural ecosystems where there's such a connection to the field that they don't over predate or there's a, these kind of checks and balances. And we've become so apex that we've been able to override kind of the, the natural order of things, like the natural way that things were kept in balance. Like we have the ability to, predate our world out of fucking existence and that's why we have to really become aware of this and that's and it's important it's important to find you know find that place within ourselves take a good look like face to face you know and that was another one of my deep prayers is just to look face to face at every aspect of the totality of self the totality of and in doing so you see the totality of the collective as well if you look deeply enough in yourself you'll see all of it and you have to look at that without flinching in order to actually be able to operate in it. And some of the stuff is gonna, you know, it's always gonna be there. Like it's the desire to have some kind of conflict. It's just, it's in us, you know, look at all the video games we create, right? Like there's conflict built into the stories we like, all the stories we like on TV and in movies, the video games we create. And that can even be recreated in our in our ceremonies as well. And you know, I have to be aware too that like so we had a little ecstatic dance where you dress up as your shadow, you know, and just for fun, like express some part of yourself. And you know, I put on a furry leather hat with a big tail on it, you know, and I was kind of embodying. I had a you know, fake fur. I was on it was like a fake wolf fur, you know, spirit hood. And I was like, I'm going as Genghis Khan today. You know, and like, because there is a little Genghis Khan in me. I was obsessed with him when I was like 10 years old, and he did horrible shit, mm. you know, horrible shit. But there was some part of me that liked that the idea of the, the, you know, the ride, the call of a thousand horses, you know, who could ride through, who is the, the baddest of the bad on the, on the horse. And, and I play that out on the volleyball court or on the basketball court. And it's just about how do we do this in a good way, in a healthy way, not getting lost in our desire to do it, but just express it in a higher octave. And one thing you always said that separates what can be good and beneficial and, and valuable to the other side, which is actually the real actual dark side, is does it have a giggle in it? Like, and that was, I always remember you saying that. It's like, does it have a giggle in it? You know, like, is there a place where you stop and just 
you know, in the heat of battle on the court, like something happened, you just kind of fucking laugh, hmm. you know, or in sexuality, if you're playing out a power exchange role, like, is there a place where you just, you, you just can stop and laugh and understand and see yourself in honesty and know like, we're playing a fun game here. Hmm. And, and that's, I think, where we need to get to where exercise these aspects of self, but do it in a game. Allow myself to be Genghis Khan in an ecstatic dance and then just be uh, absolutely generous, gracious, you know, person of the best service that I can in real life. But allow myself in that moment to snarl and howl at the, howl at the moon and feel what that feels like and do it in a dance in this kind of context. And then put the, put the hat away, you know, put the coat back on a shelf and then just go about just kind of bouncing around life. We got to deal with every aspect of ourselves. We have to open up to everything that drives us. We have to make friends with it. Mm. We have to understand it. We have to understand our ancestors and what drove them, where they are in our stories and their mythologies, how we relate to that and what we need. If we're just peaceful and the rest of the world is going to be warring, we're going to get slaughtered. Mm. All the peaceful societies have been slaughtered by other societies that weren't peaceful. It was too easy just to pick up a rock and then a bigger rock and then technology on technology to create a war machine so vast that it could just perfect slaughtering each other. It's just too simple for that. We have to find within ourselves a way to ultimately deal with every single aspect of what's inside us and what our motivations are, and then learn to actually mature with that, not just have to act them out in a, in a, like a, a holistic or a total way. That's what the giggle's about, right? The giggle's about realizing that there's a crack in the, in, in the darkness or in the, the dominance that says, hey, there's something else going on here. Ultimately, it leads back to source, where you want to say, hey, source, can you dominate yourself? You're all powerful. No, you can't. You can't loop back around on yourself and dominate yourself, source. Like, give it up. Yeah. Like, we got to stop the demigod gains at some point when it becomes detrimental to absolutely everything. Right. So when that comes, I don't think we're quite there yet because right now we're playing the polarity games at the biggest level, strongest level ever in history. Mm -hmm. So they're just, you know, they're tightening the rope. When the rope will snap, I don't know. And what will come from it though is ultimately, I think the transformation that we're talking about. Yeah. What about, you know, for you, you spent, I don't know, a couple decades in the jungle and there was a, you were going to battle and we've told some of these battle stories, Dude. right? And so- and you're you're really like a lot of your work even then was about transcending the field of battle itself and sure. getting to a new place you called it medicine world back then i don't know yeah. what you call it now but you transcend actually the place where you're in contest with these other en entities or energies yep. but like an old warrior like yourself you know and i don't mean old in that you're old or something like that <laughs> but like yeah, yeah 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 but like a veteran a veteran warrior there yeah. has to be some party that maybe every once in a while is like it's been a while since i had a good fight <laughs> you know and i got all of these i got all of these icaros i got all of these allies i got hank the polar bear i got all of these oh, i got all of these that. homies up here and they like a good fight and i like a good fight do you ever like do you ever miss just going in there and fucking shit up Not really, not in that <laughs> sense, not in that sense. There was, you know, during that time, that was life and death. And it's not a game when it's life and death. Right. 
It's war when it's life and death. It's not just a fight. Like you could die and you know it. And fundamentally that makes something so real that, uh, that it transcends that concept of just a battle. Like you realize you may end up on the battlefield dead at that moment. Mm -hmm. I think there's a part of you that always knows you have those skills mm -hmm. and you can respect those skills. And there's a place for those skills and there's a place to use those skills. So in that sense, I think that, you know, there's still power within them and there's still, there's still vibe, mm -hmm. right? But I don't want to use them with people. Mm -hmm. I just don't have any interest in using them with people. But going and playing that out in a spiral galaxy, going and doing that with yeah. a bunch of stars, yeah. like, it's interesting. It's interesting, the, the forces that are at play. The, the nature of the predation on Earth is about life itself, and life is a precious gift. It's not just consciousness. It's actually the life. Like It's yeah. cellular matrix. It's the self-ordering matter of Earth itself that becomes life. It's a transcendence of us being different races and us being different creeds, different religions, and different nationalities and realizing that we're all humans or we're all from the same species or we're all part of the same collective group. And at some point, we don't need to harm each other to be able to, to be good or to be able to uh, you know, fully express ourselves. Right. There are other ways to be able to do that. So I think that ultimately that flex you know, that you're, you're talking about is there, it just can be expressed in other ways. I don't mm -hmm. think it ever goes away. Mm -hmm. you know, and then of course, if there ever is a situation where there is an antagonist that really comes at you like that, it's good to know you got the skills. Yeah, yeah, for right? sure. You don't wanna be on the other side of that until it's all gone. Yeah. Right. Until it's all gone, you got to have those skills. You have to. Like, I wouldn't go into any ceremony without having those skills. Right. And if I didn't have them at the level that I have them, I would still train them. Yeah. Right. But they also don't like get rusty. Like, yeah. you just you just have them. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're there. They're there. They're they're very well trained. Right. Um. The. I think the next evolution of it all, though, is about transcending the polarity within the visions where you need to use those because other people have antagonistic consciousness, mm -hmm. right? Can we deal with antagonistic consciousness in another way? You know, you mentioned medicine world. Medicine world was a way to be able to do that. But in medicine world, if there was antagonistic consciousness coming to us, we still took it down. <laughs> it just couldn't hit us. It's just like, you're just not going to hit us, right? right. Like there's just no way, no way to harm us anymore. The goal was just get out of the harm, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't to to be passive and allow harming others in their consciousness and harming others in their practices to continue that. We just shut it down, you know? I think there's still a part of that because there's so much of it going on, maybe more now than ever, that there is still a need to regulate in terms of the, the practices and the people that are involved in it and the way that it's actually taking place. But for us as a collective to ultimately get to the next level, we have to see beyond the polarity of each other. It's uh, it's interesting because I think like I can understand this from uh, you know a f like a physical reality in which I you know hopefully I'm going to have a son and hopefully a daughter that's my that's my prayer that I'm going to have one of one of both and I think probably a lot of people have that prayer some people get it answered some people don't um, and I would of course want to actually train both of them in some basic levels of martial arts and mm -hmm. also how to use the tools of our time to actually protect themselves in case they needed it. 
but never would want them to actually use that in a way that would be bullying or be a way that would hurt anybody. Exactly. But you want to train that warrior, that kind of warrior spirit. It's not just that, of course, if you can, if you can get out of a situation, that's the best way to do it. But sometimes you can't get out of a situation. Like for example, when those four guys were around my car and one of them took Caitlin's head and smashed it into the side of the window of the car, like there was no like running away. It was like, all right, you ball your fists and and you go and you fight until you're you're either dead or or you protect that which you love. And there's and there is a situation where all of my sparring and training, which was all fun and all enjoyable, all of a sudden it just clicked into something really real that was just life or death. And that training came. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that I see in kind of the modern psychedelic context is it's entirely for the most part based on you know avoidance and fear and almost and it feels like there's a space for potentially a bit of that warrior training to come in which is yes protect yourself yes set the space yes you know avoid conflict when that's unnecessary but i've at least enjoyed using the same kind of mindset of like look i'm not trying to pick a fight and i'll avoid a fight every time i can but sometimes if i can't avoid a fight i want to know that i can i want to know that i can fight and i don't think that's someone that's something that a lot of people talk about really is like actually training like kind of like the warrior ethos of like an astral traveler in in a good way you know what i mean and it's it's something that i think our conversation i remember i you know i called you uh i guess i don't know maybe nine months ago or something mm-hmm. like that. And I had a very specific thing where I felt like something arose in an ayahuasca ceremony. And I've talked about it, like this force arose and there's this awareness that I may need to actually go into my training a bit more. And that actually is what drove me into my cinnamon dieta, which was I was guided into doing and then gave me what is my strongest move. You know, like we all have our strong move, whether we're stand up, maybe it's our overhand right, or maybe it's whatever it is. If it's jujitsu, maybe it's our double leg. And then, you know, we we have our strongest move that we can pull that will work for the most part, unless you're with something that's really gnarly or you find someone who's really well trained or an entity or something. But I, I, I just kind of feel like there's this, this overall a bit of like, it's a bit too soft in a way the way that people are kind of exploring and to actually have a more robust and holistic understanding like a little bit of warrior training might be helpful i don't know what do you think about that like like just a little bit just like a little bit of the warrior training basis maybe more than a little bit yeah maybe a lot (laughs) i don't i don't this like soft thing you know i've been hearing this in the space as i've been like you know more more i mean i've kind of been you know on the electric grid, but off grid of, of kind of everything that's been going on in the last couple of years. And I've just started, you know, kind of networking again and talking to people about what's going on. And there's this, this vibe I'm coming across about the softness, but I never got it from anybody. So I don't even know what anyone's talking about. I need to sit in some other circles and even understand because I was not given anything soft, right? They were like, to survive this journey, you have to learn these skills, period. So you're going to learn these skills and part of it is medicine skills and part of it is warrior skills and part of it's outright war warring skills. So mm-hmm. you're going to learn all these different skills. And if someday you need them, they're going to be available to you. Mm-hmm. And that someday was day one. 
That was literally the first day. Like, so it was like, it wasn't like, hey, maybe someday, like at you know, ceremony a hundred, I might need this. It was like, it was like the first ninety-five out of a hundred ceremonies were, you know, in that conflict. And so, I think you have to have these skills to be able to deal with conflict. You have to know how to deal with, you know, other states of consciousness of other people or other forms of of consciousness, whether they be energies or entities that are dominant over you. And that you have an ability to push back and you have an ability to deal with it. So I don't think of this from a position of being a pacifist at all. I look at it as like, if the thing's 100% war, shouldn't we turn it, turn it down a little bit? Mm-hmm. Not 100% pacifist, turn it up 10%. Like when I look at the world, I just see the world's at 100% war right now. Mm-hmm. And there are groups that are, are saying, hey, maybe we shouldn't be at 100% war. You know, whether it's just outright competition, just business competition, athletic competition, scholastic competition, technological competition, chipping everybody, you know, to to go further in the competition, you know, putting new neural networks, training new neural networks, using different kinds of technology for it. If you research what's going on in the East, what China's doing, what Russia's doing, other countries, what they're into and what they're navigating and, and using science for to try to stay ahead in the nature of this competition. If you really look at it, it looks like things are pretty tense in terms of things being at war. If you look at consciousness itself, that is our collective consciousness. If you look at the propaganda machines that are running media, that is part of our collective consciousness. It's not like these things are all separate from each other. At the beginning of the podcast, we started saying it's all part of that thing. No one's separate from this, right? Mm -hmm. It's all part of that thing. So if that's really where we are and the world's at war, I think maybe we need to start doing is turning down that war a little bit, adding a little bit more peace into it, but not it's not a pacifist. A pacifist is equally at war. It's a weird concept. The pacifist mm. is at war within themselves about the war mm. and they're choosing peace. I'm talking about going to source. I'm talking about going to source and having like a serious conversation with source about the war that's currently going on and starting to tone it down mm-hmm. and saying, hey, we need to go beyond this conflict within ourselves. And to do that, you have to have all the skills because fear will get in your way. Others will get in your way. The antagonist will get in your way, whether it's a deity, whether it's mythological, whether it's a demigod, whether it's in your consciousness, whether it's you, whether it's an opposing army, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It'll get in your way, whether it's a bunch of people jumping you around a car, like whatever, like mm-hmm. it'll get in the way. Yeah, It's going through everyone's head. The world is sick. We need to understand it. It's mentally sick. Yeah, It's mentally ill. It's confined in a dream, and that dream is a kind of trance state that has so much antagonism in it and so many antagonists in it, we can't see straight anymore. Yeah. So we have to have those skills to be able to navigate it. We have to teach everybody those skills. Only with those skills can people be empowered enough to actually then begin to transcend it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky thing because as soon as you like, the, the challenging part about starting to train it is then it opens you up to actually getting your ass kicked a lot. And right, because there's going to be, you're going to encounter things in situations that are just better than you. you over know, and over and over. Over and, and over, like just better than you. Always. And so it, it also includes not only training it, but also knowing like, okay, you may get your ass kicked and here's how you heal and here's how you recover. Here's how you're going to be okay. You know, it, and it's like this, it's a very, it's a, it's a whole process of realizing like you can't just teach someone a little and throw them into like a war zone and yeah. have them survive. They'll get, a, they'll get obliterated. So it's this delicate balance of like, I think for the most part, 
if you're going to take the warrior path, which I think is an important path to take to have to have those skills, you kind of have to commit at least to get a, you know a couple belts, a couple belt levels in to like understand enough that and have a full kind of toolbox available so that you can handle most of these situations and also handle when you get your ass kicked and like what the what the ultimate place of refuge is you know when when it's all exactly exactly like to know like like dorothy where you can click your heels and go back home to source you know and be like you know literally in the fortress of your father's house your mother's house whatever like gender is kind of weird when you're talking about love but but father's house sounds more intimidating <laughs> but maybe not i don't know but whatever it is but inside the house of your heart inside mm. the house of love and just be like all right i was getting my ass kicked out there let's let's go back here let's regroup you know let's you know nurse back to health at the teat of source and know that that's going to work and you're going to be okay and then come back out there and you may get your ass kicked again but that's how you'll actually learn all of the different ways and get to a place where you can start to kind of navigate these realms with full confidence with and that full confidence gives you the ability to create the the most i think empowering transformations both within self and with others is when you're able to actually look at the darkness and not be afraid you know like to have no fear at all and uh and i guess it's just a it's a conversation that i'm not hearing anybody have really you know except for the conversations that we have and i think it's a conversation that's probably happening all the fucking time down in Iquitos. you know like everybody's training themselves up to be this because they understand that as the culture and consciousness but in our psychedelic culture i think it's gonna it's gonna be a little bit weird without that kind of warrior training that uh that i think is is available i think it'll naturally you know expose itself where it needs to i don't understand how you could ultimately learn about life without understanding how there is an inherent conflict associated with it and how to navigate that mm -hmm. so you know every warrior i know and i know serious warriors warriors have been to many many wars in the physical sense yep and uh they all have stories about when they were almost killed mm -hmm. and when they've been broken over and over and over by the training and over and over and over by the conflict and I think if you don't experience that, then you'll never understand why you need to transcend it. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have your ego chapped so many times through those experiences to actually grow beyond it and to understand what's going on within us in those states of consciousness where that conflict is ripe and there's a lot of people dying over it right now because of it. Like there's a lot of wars going on on the planet right now. There's a lot of people dying while we talk about that thing right now mm -hmm. we will never understand it will always be abstracted it'll always be abstracted and then people will think that it's not needed they'll think that it's somehow negative or wrong and i fundamentally just think that that's foolish until the entire collective has agreed to move beyond it mm -hmm. and that's not going to happen through law it's not going to happen through armistice it's not going to happen through any way it's not going to be a collective declaration of peace that's not how it's going to work yeah. It's got to work through a shift in consciousness or an evolution in consciousness where those behaviors no longer have reason anymore. But in today's day and age, they still have a lot of reason. And everything you're talking about gives it even more reason. Why you would want to be trained, why you would want to know those skills, and also know the consequences associated with them. 
right? The very best martial artists never fight, but they train like crazy. <laughs> yeah. And if they had to, I don't want to be on the other side of that. <laughs> yeah. No, at all. Like, there's, there's a gentleness that only actually comes from knowing that you're an absolute badass you know like the the like a, the tim kennedys and even kyle is sitting in this room like the absolute badasses are the are some of the gentlest people that you know and they're just out but it, there's like a peace that you have when you know yourself is competent wherever wherever you go and it's a it's a place beyond fear that's not just a psychological bypass of fear which i think is important too and it's not to take that move off the board. I think we need to do that as well, but also to like engage with engage it. You know, I couldn't I couldn't bypass the situation where you know Caitlin got slammed into the car. I can't bypass. I can't spiritually bypass that. There was no move where I was like, let's talk about it. As her fucking face was dripping blood. No, that was just not that was not the fucking move. You know, and there was there was not also an option to get you know take the first fucking swing turn the other cheek and let him stomp me into a fucking icu somewhere right like no. that's not a, those no. are not those are not the options that no. that are available so it's uh yeah i guess the invitation is to to just expand the gamut and i think a lot of people are going to be asking like well fuck you know like what how do i even start even thinking about doing any of this training actually in any way or like being able to at least defend myself at least like the self-defense class of this without actually creating more fear and then turning every thought form that comes into something that you have to fight because you have to have serious discernment to understand when it is time to actually enter the fray with that type of energy and when it's just like just let that pass let that pass it's just a thought or or love that thing you know loving loving that thing that wants to fight has been especially the gnarliest things has been the best weapon that i've ever had you know and then when there's another thing that might be that might be necessary and uh and it just feels like there needs to be like a like a like a hogwarts of that's like full spectrum of like all of the different things that you might encounter and all of the ways to kind of deal with it but from I don't know from like another perspective well if people are interested in learning i'm here <laughs> like yeah i'm I'm actively teaching and i'm yeah. actively sharing ceremony and i actively talk about this stuff yeah and so honestly if anyone is interested in learning these skills and being part of these understandings inside and outside of psychedelic consciousness and the sacred plants and ayahuasca that's what we're here for that's yeah. the service we provide yeah and I, I mean, I encourage people to to check that out. And I know that during pandemic and times you were leading dietas, which is one of the strong practices where you actually get the strength of a plant or a tree, you know, inside your consciousness body and can call on that ally. And I've been speaking about how cinnamon has been such a strong ally for me. And I imagine if I re-dieted rose again, which I would like to do, you know, I would learn even more. And, you know, as my own consciousness is developed and my own ability to connect with these, you know, what can be seemingly abstract energies, but as they've become more real to me, it's, uh, I just feel, even though I'm by no means a black belt in this world, I feel like, I feel so much more at ease than a lot of the people 
that I know who go into different ceremonies and things just from like the very basic training. Just like I feel very much at ease when I'm in a nightclub and people are drunk and I'm with, you know, my wife who's beautiful and her friends and I'm like, I know enough. You know, mm. not, maybe not enough for like the best of you, but I know enough for most of you. And like that makes me feel, that makes me feel a certain type of confidence that allows me to explore the edges a little bit more. And I think, I don't know, I, just, I guess I just encourage that. I encourage that that becomes part of the conversation and part of the zeitgeist, not the dominating part, but just a little bit more awareness that we're not helpless to these beings and these things. There's places where we can find refuge. There's places where we can bring our energy. There's places where we can build our team, our squad. And, and not to overdo it, because I've also seen that where people are in full conflict mentality all the time. And I've stepped into ceremony with them and everything is just distortion. Mm. It's just like- That's delusion. That's delusion. Mm. All, of, all of everything they see is light versus dark. It's all polarity. It's all that. And so it can certainly go way overboard. And that's the caveat. It's like you start, you know, training like a hammer and everything becomes a nail, mm. you know? So it's like, it has to be this really full spectrum approach to, uh, to medicine in general. And I've, you know, just always appreciated that about you that you've trained like a warrior for most of your life, but then spend most of your practice actually helping to bring people to a place where they don't need to go to war. That's the nature of the skills themselves, right? Just because you have the skills and you have the tools doesn't mean you need to flex them and you need to use them all the time. The mm -hmm. whole point of having it is so that you can actually discern the difference between your own delusions and actual threat. And how big of a threat is it if you have the tools to deal with it? That takes the threat way down. Mm -hmm. So then I have to start thinking, wow, the alarm inside my head that that's really a threat isn't really a threat because I have the tools to actually deal with it. And so now the negatives of the psychedelic space and the ayahuasca space and psilocybin space, et cetera, which there are many, and people talk endlessly about all the things that could go wrong. All these tools and all of these skills are there to minimize all of those potential dangers to the point that you actually have something that's safe, sane, and professional to do. <laughs> so I think that's really the point behind it, right? It's, it's not like you have skills to be able to defend yourself so you go looking for a fight. You have skills to defend yourself so that if a fight comes to you for any reason whatsoever, you can stop it before it becomes a big fight. Yeah. And if you get yourself caught in a really big fight, the most important thing to do is to have a squad and allies and friends who can just gather around you together in one moment and just end it. Just end it as fast <laughs> as it started. Just shut that down. I was involved in conflicts that took 10 years to stop. Like really gnarly stuff early on. When I got to the Amazon, it was at the end of an evolution of incredible violence between the practitioners. Mm -hmm. And so I got involved in a, a lineage that was healing that stuff. And the nature of the conflicts would last decades. The mythological stories told amongst the people in the, in the small towns was that these, these conflicts between shamans was lasting you know, 10, 20 years, 30 years, and that it would flare up and there would be all sorts of uh, battle and then ultimately deaths and stuff associated with it. And so, you know, going into that and, and seeing it for what it ultimately was from the very beginning, you know, I realized there's, there's no reason that that stuff has to ultimately play out for such a long period of time. There's no reason that any of that stuff has to actually be that way anymore, as long as we have the skills and the technologies and the techniques and the people together to be able to just bring an end to it much faster than that. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what we've been developing over the last 20 years is how to ultimately be just more effective, right? So even when we're talking about it, there's like this polarity already there is, are the defensive arts separate from the healing arts? Well, not really. There's no place to heal unless you have the defensive arts. Mm. Right. It's like go to society and think whether you can have an operating room if there are no police and no rules and nothing governing who goes into the operating room or not. You don't have an operating room. Mm-hmm. In consciousness, it's exactly the same. In the psychedelic space, it's exactly the same. You want this big, beautiful space to be able to do this big, psychic, elaborate surgery <laughs> healing thing. And it just gets bombarded by everyone's shadow. Everyone who's there, shadow will just start corrupting that space and putting all different kinds of codes going through it, like all these different TV channels of different energies that you know have no place being there. So mm. you have to somehow be able to, to create a boundary around the nature of that space so that somebody's consciousness can be in that space and receive from that space the way it was designed and created. So I just think it's naive the way people are talking about this. It's mm-hmm. like, it's like uh, you know, it's, it's like baby. It's like a baby way of understanding this. And that's appropriate considering that, especially in the psychedelic renaissance, that it's just starting. Mm -hmm. Give it 10 years, give it 20 years, give it 30 years. There will be a lot more in the culture about this and more understanding about it as it becomes more important. The tribal lineages kept all of this secret for a number of different reasons. You know, one, they thought it was bad press. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, what do you mean there's all this going on about this? Two, it was their secrets. They had no reason to share. Right. They had no reason to share this outside of their own lineages and stuff. And so, you know, the people didn't really talk about it much. I got into it simply like I was thrown to the wolves. And when I woke up to what was going on and I saw Westerners coming down to participate in these ceremonies, I thought they needed to know. So I just thought it was an aspect of information and responsibility yeah. to have to share the fact that this was real. And even before I went, I was warned, but I didn't understand what to do with the warning. I was just told by a practitioner in Santa Cruz, California. She just said, oh, be very careful when you go down there. They don't think about this like the way we do. It was just simple as that. That's all they said. I didn't know what they meant or she meant when she said they don't think about it the way we do. I'm like, oh, now I understand. They don't think that that's bad. Mm. They don't think that that's wrong. They think that's the way it is and the way it's supposed to be. It's the the way it's always been going on, right? And so in understanding that as the psychedelic renaissance, you know, grows and more people participate and experience this, you have to understand you're going to awaken your own shadow. You're also going to awaken your own heart. But when you awaken your shadow, you have a choice. You either learn to deal with it or it's going to get stronger. And if it gets stronger, it's not going to help you in your life. It's not going to help you deal with anything. It's going to literally make your life worse. Mm-hmm. And so we have to take that into consideration and be responsible and thoughtful about that. We need to understand that we don't want our shadow to get stronger. We need to set our intention to bring our shadow down. We need to, to understand that we need to bring the light and the divinity and the real understandings up. We need to understand that we have to learn the protective arts. Maybe, maybe it's not about battle anymore. Maybe it's just about protections. Mm-hmm. Like a seatbelt's protective. Anti-lock brakes are protective. Should you take those off the car because you don't think you need them anymore? Mm-hmm. It's like, no, we learned all those technologies for a reason. Let's have those technologies. Let's use them in a safe way. And then let's you know, be able to walk very gently upon the earth and live in bliss. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, if you come across a lion, you'll know what to do. And if you come across a delusional, paranoid, schizophrenic, angry, delusional, psychopathic sapien, you might also know what to do. <laughs> be prepared. Yeah, be prepared. Well, I just want to give, you know, you so much 
credit and respect for the way that you've structured stories in my own consciousness and my own understanding. I mean, obviously, uh, being able to have access to your your wealth of wisdom so early, and then be able to have that help guide me through you know so many of the places that I've been, and to have you as an ally from the drop. Um, really been such a gift and uh, i'm just grateful to continue that process and that practice and to kind of expand this awareness and uh yeah i'm excited to you know drop into a little experience with you with the with the crew tonight we're not drinking ayahuasca everybody here out but we're gonna have a little little you know ceremonial experience and uh and i'm just fucking i can't wait to hear your ikaros again and hear your songs i mean i'm expecting kind of hoping you're going to sing some of them but but uh yeah man it's just a pleasure to be in your in your space and uh and to share your wisdom with the audience and um i'm excited i'm excited about this uh this reunion and and what's to come oh thank you so much it's the same it's incredible to see your progress too i mean 10 years is it's been an incredible time. It has. And I, uh, I'm equally grateful. I look forward to the next 10. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for yeah, like, sure. Likewise, brother. Yeah, yeah. And you'll hear some Ikaros. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's go. Yeah, yeah. Let's there go. There will be some Ikaros. Sure, why not? <laughs> well, let's fucking go. I love that. All right, where can people reach out and, uh, and find you these days? All right, so check us out at bluemorphotours.com and also on social media, on Instagram at Hamilton Souther Official and on Facebook at Hamilton Souther Official as well. But if you want to come drink aisle with us, we're running retreats year-round again. And uh, it's an incredible time. So see our website, bluemorphotours.com. Okay. Thank you, everybody. So much love. Peace. Thanks for tuning into this podcast with Maestro Hamilton. If you're interested in more of his stories, make sure you check out the former episodes that we have with him. Also, Fit for Service is open for applications for our year-long program, Please, if you're interested, check it out. Go to fitforservice.com. I'm so excited about next year. It's going to be fucking epic. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I'll see you next week.